In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. All of us developed uh, various coping mechanisms during the last 18 months during COVID. And for me, one of those coping mechanisms was exercise. I spent a lot of time during COVID exercising, which was a surprise, both uh, especially to those who know me well, because I've spent about 41 years avoiding uh, various forms of exercise, at least after the, col- the high school uh, years of competitive uh, swimming. And the thing I've avoided most, though, even then, is the activity uh, known as running. It is not my favorite. I don't like it. And again, it feels like it, 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 to, to, to run for me is like taking terrible tasting medicine. Um, now, the group that I exercise with, we exercise outside, and there are members of different uh, levels of ability and fitness, shall we say. And nowhere is that more clear than when it comes to the track. See, as we run, the group spreads out, sometimes dramatically. There's the, the, the younger members are sort of out front usually, or those with longer legs, or people who ran in high school or did cross country, or who actually seem to like it. Um, and then there's the caboose, where yours truly hangs out. And the longer we go, the more separated we are. But it's not just separation that results. You see, it could be that the, the folks in the front start to get a little bit superior, you know, a little bit, maybe not, they're not, not boastful, but shall we say, those of us in the caboose often think that if they were to trip and fall, it would be funny, not sad. You're supposed to laugh. Um, but uh, those who are in the caboose, like myself, we, we start to grow a little self-conscious as the weeks go by and we don't seem to improve, uh, maybe discouraged. But then something funny happens. Once the run is over, no matter how far or how fast you've gone, everyone is exhausted. A moment before we were separated, uh, but all of a sudden we're together. And that's when, at least in non-COVID times, that's when the backslaps happen and the high fives and maybe the hugs. You see, we are bonded in our exhaustion. Whereas a moment before, we were divided in our gifting. So when we talk about shared suffering producing love, that's part of what's happening here. Our shared limitation, which is that the human body can only run so long before it gets tired, it brings us closer together. Now, This is a long-winded way of me saying that God has given everyone different gifts and abilities, and yet very, very similar weaknesses. And that is where unity and love is to be found, in weakness, not in strength. In fact, that is what Paul is talking about, at least partially, in this letter to the Corinthians this morning. He says, talking to about God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul had grown very frustrated that he had what he refers to as a thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. Lots of conjecture around that. But whatever it was, it was something that didn't go away as he aged and as he matured in the faith. There was something that nagged at him, and it was painful. A thorn in the flesh is not sort of a, 
kind of a, just an irritation. It's something that actually is acute. Um, and he begged for God to take this away from him until this realization came upon him that it was this thorn in the flesh that was keeping him dependent on God and, and, and not too impressed or superior. Now, this is one of the great insights of the Christian faith. The world runs after strength and victory and perfection, but finds the track only ever gets longer. The gospel of Jesus Christ understands that weakness is the location of grace, not evidence of its absence. I'll take it a little deeper. In order to do so, I have to tell you about Ashley. Ashley was a parishioner. My my older brother is a Episcopal uh, rector up in New York, but at a a former church of his, a couple of former churches of his, uh, Ashley was a parishioner. And uh, John is my brother's name. He recalls when Ashley, who was a single mom at the time, uh, received a DUI. So she was arrested for driving under the influence. And if you're familiar with the process, it's quite harrowing. Your license is taken away. Your, your picture often ends up in the paper. You, you get slammed with a bunch of court fees, which in Ashley's case, she couldn't really afford. Um, it's, it's very difficult, but it's, it's especially awkward because uh, when you have kids to ferry around, you have to rely on other people for rides. It's a very difficult position to put yourself to be in. Well, John and his colleague being good clergy, they volunteered to uh, bring her to her first court-mandated support group meeting. And he told me the story later, that his first thought after peeking in, he walked her to the door, he peeked in at the setting, was that, was that this was going to be a disaster. You see, the room was full of buttoned-up retirees and almost exclusively men. I was pretty sure one of them was a former congressman. Ashley's presence lowered the average age by a solid 20 years. As with so many single moms, her chief concerns in life, other than the legal trouble she was currently in, was mostly related to child care and making ends meet. It is not an easy road to be a single mother. The men occupying the other chairs, my brother and Ashley both assumed, were mainly worried about their 401ks or their property taxes or perhaps their tea times at the local golf course, or possibly alimony payments. But it was this or jail, and so she went. Well, fast forward two months, and they're having coffee, and Ashley is telling John how much the group has changed her life. All of those fuddy-duddies, it turned out, had stories to share, the kind that would make your jaw drop to the ground. The more Ashley heard, the less alone she felt. That stoic congressman guy had completely blown up his life and reputation in a bender that had sent him to prison. And the day before they had coffee, he brought her a bunch of sausage that he'd made from his recent hunting trip. Uh, Ashley's vegetarian, but um, had been genuinely touched by the gesture. And John just surmised that this man had no one else to share it with other than other people in the group. Now, my brother wondered aloud uh, whether she had simply been charmed by the novelty of the situation. Perhaps there was something exotic about becoming friends with a bunch of people way outside of her own demographic who seemed to have nothing in common with her otherwise. And Ashley said something that he's never forgotten. She said, you might think so, 
But actually the opposite is true. I don't think I've ever felt so understood in my entire life. You see, life had stripped these men of any pretense of put-togetherness, as it had her, she explained. What we have in common is a wake of broken promises and bad decisions. I don't have to edit my story or worry about impressing them at all. It is such a relief, and I look forward to it every week. And she smiled when she said that last part, John said, the first time he'd seen one on her face in months. So what she had experienced here is part of what Paul is talking about. Grace was not found in the rediscovery of her gifts or the reclamation of her dignity amidst this group. No, instead, shared weakness and shame formed the doorway through which she found fellowship, understanding, and healing. Now, make no mistake, when Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, he's not saying that those weaknesses don't hurt. Again, thorn in the flesh. Or he's not saying that our failures and our sin, like a, like a DUI, are somehow good, or that they're erased. What he's saying instead is that weakness will be the place where you experience God's grace most undeniably and most powerfully. He goes further. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in all manner of difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'll give you another example that I'm finished. Maybe you're familiar with the work of the lawyer and author Brian Stevenson, best-selling author. Uh, his book, Just Mercy, was made into a movie a few years ago starring um, Michael B. Jordan. Made a bunch of waves. The movie and the book, uh, they dramatize uh, his lifelong advocacy on behalf of inmates serving on death row. These are men who are in, in most cases have been convicted of heinous and violent crimes. They occupy the absolute lowest rung on the social ladder. It's not glamorized as lowest rung, it's true lowest rung. They're seldom, if ever, the target of sympathy or interest from the outside world. And so um, in, in the book, he, when he opens the book, he sort of answers the question, how it is that he keeps going year after year, case after case, when we, with so many obstacles and discouragements in front of him, when the cards seem so stacked against him and his clients. And he says this, he says, I do what I do because I'm broken too. We're all broken by something. We have all hurt someone and been hurt. We all share the condition of brokenness, even if our brokenness is not equivalent. I desperately wanted mercy for a client, but I couldn't pretend that his struggle was disconnected from my own. Our shared brokenness connected us. He closes by saying our brokenness is also the source of our common humanity, the basis for our shared search for comfort, meaning, and healing. Our shared vulnerability and imperfection nurtures and sustains our capacity for compassion. Now let's be clear. God can use your strengths, your gifts, 
and he often does. Stevenson's own legal gifting has been a godsend to many of the men that he's helped exonerate. And many of the families that he's at least given a second hearing to. But he wouldn't be doing it in the first place without some sense of shared need and sin. Remember, since God is in the business of mending things, it could be that he's much more interested in that which is broken. And as St. Paul, with his thorn in the flesh, he will not bring you to a place where you no longer need him. Life, a friend of mine says, sometimes feels like an endless process of being acquainted and reacquainted with your own weakness, failure, shame, guilt, and sin. A process of making you smaller as the years go on. Well, if that's the case, then what this passage tells us is that life is also the process of discovering how large, unlimited, and good God is. So where are you feeling weak this week? Where are you feeling limited or ashamed or guilty? Where are you dealing with what Paul says, all manner of difficulty? Well, perhaps you, like me, need to hear the divine proclamation that God himself was made weak, put upon, insulted, persecuted, so that all might know not just more weakness, but the power of God, which is grace. In other words, wherever you find yourself today, God is right there with you. Those pangs that the thorn in the flesh is causing you, well, they are a sign that the divine caboose is on its way, scooping up all the broken and the fallen behind, which, yes, includes even you. Amen.